0: I, uh, when Lisa was singing that and the goodness of God uh, running us down as it were, and my first thought was the Apostle Paul, whenever he spoke about his salvation, it was as though he was picturing him being arrested by the Lord. The Lord has arrested me, he's brought me to this place, and thank God for that. Open your Bibles this morning to 1st Chronicles chapter number 29. 1st Chronicles chapter number 29. I'll read the text in just a minute. Since we're celebrating our 53rd anniversary of the church today... Some of you might already be wondering, well, uh, why in the world would you be preaching from the Old Testament here and and about the Old Testament temple? What sense does that make? And uh, I'm sure that many of you already understand why. But there might be some new Christians that uh, fail to see the connection. But you'll see it here in just a little while. And by the way... This just happens to be the first message I preached when I came here to be your pastor 35 years ago. I, uh, this was the first sermon that I preached, and I preached it for a reason. God laid it on my heart then. The only other time I've ever preached it was, was on uh, January, no, October the 10th of night, of '9. That's, that's when we relocated came over to this place here, and uh, moved into this building. And i preach it for the same reason. Now, when I came here 35 years ago, uh, quite a bit heavier than I am now, and I could stand up straight, and I could hold my head up without uh, hanging it over like this and didn't need a cane. I could play basketball with the boys and a lot of things like that. But uh, God's been good, and uh, God has, uh, I remember whenever Bev and I going through some things, and she continued to remind me, God's got this, God's got this. And thank God for a preacher's wife that that won't let him forget the fact that whatever it is, God's got it, and he does. Uh, So I'm thankful that God has brought us to this place today. Let's begin our reading in verse number one. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all of my might for the house of my God the gold for the things to be made of gold, and the silver for the things of silver. And the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glycerin stones and di- of divers colors, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophrah, and seven thousand talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house withal. The gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of the silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of the art- artificers. And who then? And who then is willing? to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord. I've preached a sermon, one of my very favorite sermons uh, that I've preached is when God says no. And sometimes God does. We don't like it, we don't understand it, we just have the idea that uh, God says, you have not because you ask not, and uh, so we ask, and, and then God says no, and we don't understand it. It's reasonable to us. It might even gain popularity with others, but God says, no, I don't want it to be like that, and that's what happened to David originally whenever David, being the king, wanted to build the temple, and God told him no said, you've been a man of war and I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you build the temple. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give that job to Solomon. And I can well imagine what the response of some people might have been. Well, if you're not going to let me do it, why just forget it. But that wasn't David's attitude. David supported Solomon. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. In every way. And that's what he's saying here. And the reason behind it all is found in verse 1 where he says the work is great. The work is great. And last words are important. So keep in mind that in this chapter we are reading basically the last words of David. He has gathered the people together. He spoke to all of them. And he charged them to support Solomon and assist him in building the temple. Now, again, somebody might be thinking, well, what does that have to do with us today? Well, it has a lot to do because there's a New Testament application to be made to the church today. Now, in Acts 17, it tells us God dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. And that's true. We can't build a building big enough impressive enough or anything else that would cause God to want to make that His dwelling place today. But it was different back then. Back then, there, this was called the Holy Temple. It was the temple of God. You see from the beginning, God has always had a what we'll call a house of witness. And I say that because that is exactly what the temple is called uh, over in 2 Chronicles. It's a house of... Of witness. Originally, God's first house of witness was the family. And if you read before Abraham and during that period of time, before the nation of Israel was developed, that the family served as a house of witness to others. The father served as the role of the high priest, so to speak, the one in authority, the one that provided leadership. And then, of course, God decided that whenever Israel was developed, that the tabernacle, they'd build a tabernacle. They could move from place to place, by the way. So if they went somewhere else, they could pick it all up. It was a tent, basically. And they could take it with them. That was his house of witness. And then we see the temple being his house of witness. This is the designated place. God, God gave the pattern for it. And it tells us over in Hebrews that they were to build all things according to the pattern. Why? Because this was the place that God had chosen to manifest His place. It's His house. You say, well, what difference does that make? It makes a big difference when you realize that the nation of Israel Some folks got the idea that God loved them more than anybody else, and that's not true. God didn't do what he did just because of his love for them. He certainly loved them. They were his chosen people. But God was choosing out a people on this earth to represent him, and as Isaiah puts it, to be a light to the Gentiles. And they needed that light because all of the other religions believed in hundreds and thousands of gods. Everything was a god. Boy, the Jews come along and they've got uh, something entirely different that there's just one God. Now, the other religious people didn't care anything about, you know, the Jews uh, including Jehovah as one of the gods. That would have been fine with them. That's no problem. But whenever they began to announce that our God is the only God, that's not a very popular stance to take. Just as today, whenever you speak about the exclusiveness of salvation, and you quote John fourteen six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Boy, that upsets a lot of people. Because they think there's other ways that you can get to heaven, and there's not, folks. They're not. This was to be the witness to all of the other nations. That's why it was so very important that they obey God in everything that God told them to do. That the other nations who believed in multiple gods, that they could see that this God of the Jews is different. This God of the Jews has power that our gods don't have And sadly, the nation of Israel failed, failed miserably. And that brings us to the New Testament when Christ comes in the time determined by God. And and that's so important that we understand that, that time whenever everything was just right. I'm talking about the nations were aligned just right. Everything was just right he tells us there in Galatians that they're in the process of time that God sent his son and while he was here upon this earth he called out twelve men and he established his church that church was empowered on the day of Pentecost but the church started with Christ calling out those men as his 1 Corinthians 12 tells us he set some in the church, first apostles. That was the beginning of it. The Bible says over in Ephesians 2 and verse 21, speaking of the church, that it is a holy temple in the Lord. And the next verse says it's a habitation of God through the Spirit. Some folks have the idea that it doesn't really make all that much difference about what church you go to or if you even go to church. Sitting in the waiting room of a hospital years ago was in Tennessee, visiting while somebody was having surgery and a conversation started. Everybody down there loves southern gospel music. I do too. They got to talking about the Lord and so uh, I asked this woman I, I, what church she went to. Oh, I, I don't go to church. I, I said, really? She said, no, no, the, the, the singing conventions, that, that's my church. I get everything I need from there. How sad that some folks, claiming to be believers, do not see the need of the Lord's church. The Lord built His church for a reason. And notice here in the very first verse, this is the charge from David. He is appealing to the people for help in building this temple. And and he does so because that appeals based upon its greatness, he says. It's great. Why? Because it's for the Lord. That describes the worth of it. It's for the Lord. And how you measure the value or determine what is great or not, is decided by whether or not it brings glory to God which will in turn provide you with an eternal reward. It will pay benefits for all of eternity. Wouldn't you hate to know you're going to spend your life doing whatever you're doing and it wasn't ever going to amount to anything? I'm glad that in serving the Lord, I'm so thankful for all of the workers we've got got folks over there you know that's been preparing food got folks that are decorating and and just everything I could go on and on and on about all of the people that are involved and they're involved because they understand that the Lord's work is important because it's for the Lord and as we serve the Lord we're laying up treasures in heaven it's something that, that will benefit us for all of eternity. So why would we waste our time on anything else? But it's not just great in consideration of its worth. It's great in its dimensions. Now when we think about our work, and remember whenever the temple was built, God gave him the dimensions just like He did at the tabernacle. He didn't say, just go out there and build something that you think is suitable they knew exactly what to build. They had a pattern that God had given. They were to make the dimensions according to that pattern. And when it comes to the work that has been assigned to us as a church, God has given us the dimensions. He didn't, listen, He didn't reduce it down to a specific locality or a race or a certain society. He tells us the field is the world. In other words, it's our job to do the best that we can to reach people around the world. And the vastness of, of that mission ought to impress us. Last week after the service, I was leaving and where's the Smith family? Stephen, where are you at? They, oh, anyway, I, I, forgive me, I forgot the little fellow's name, the little boy dressed in his suit, standing there by his daddy at the door. I went out that door right over there and he looked up at me and said, are you the president? (laughs) And I said, no. I said, what I do is more important than what he does. And I believe I was right. Amen. 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 There's nothing more important than us getting the gospel message out to the entire world. That's the dimension of our work. It's not just what we do on this property, not what we do just down the street or here in this locality. It's the entire world that we're trying to reach. And oh, how sad it is to see a day where where fewer and fewer are surrendering to the ministry and. it. There was a time whenever as a pastor, every week nearly there was some missionary knocking on the door, calling on the phone, somebody, can I come by and present my work? Not anymore. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Finding men that have a calling from God to preach the gospel and to go out and to start churches it's unbelievable, and that makes me so very thankful to God for those that we support that are actually out there and doing the work. We had a couple to die and some others that have changed their mission fields and things like that, but thank God for those, because listen, that's the work of the church. It's not our job just to send them on down the road with a love offering and say, that'll get you to your next stop. It's our job to do what we can to assist them in the ministry. So whenever David says the work is great, it's great in its worth because it's for the Lord. It's great in its dimensions because it's the entire world. But it's great in its opportunities. was something for everybody to do there. If you read through it, there he talks about the stones. Somebody had to go out there and, and hew those stones and talks about the timber. Somebody had to go cut the timber. There was the gold and the silver and all of those things of material that had to be sewed. You ever stop and think what all had to happen for you? How many of you eat a bowl of cereal this morning? Now, there's one. Is is that we, nobody eats cereal anymore? <laughs> Have you ever thought about what all is involved in? What it takes to get you a bowl of cereal? Seriously, that has to be the farmer, of course, who goes out. He has to plant and cultivate. Then there's got to be the suppliers, you know, got to get from the farm to the market. But then the day that we're living in, there has to be the scientists that, you know, that check it out for its purity, the plant operator. Then the people that make the trucks that deliver the goods the engineers that designed the highways to get the trucks over the highways, the pallet makers who cut down the wood and nail it together to make a sturdy thing to put on the forklift so they can take it into the loading dock. Then somebody has to take it off the loading dock and get it out and put it up on the shelves. Somebody had to do all of that to get you a bowl of cereal. And whenever we stop and think about our work, In the Lord's church, there's all kinds of opportunities. I mean, listen, there's something for all of us to do. The Bible says in Mark that he's given to every man his work. We've all got a work to do. And if we're going to get the job done, we need the help of every member. Everyone, you say, well, I don't know what to do. I can remember so many times over the years... And if this, I don't know, my memory's not good enough to know if it happened to somebody here or not. But I always loved Bev's response when somebody would come in. And It's strange how they, whenever she was there in her office, you know, every day all week, and she'd be sitting there, and somebody would come in, and if they want to get a message to the pastor, they go to the pastor's wife. Somebody needs to start a ministry to do this or that. And her response was always, why don't you do that? Why don't you start that ministry? Amen. Look, there's something for all of us to do. And so many times, you know, the if the church is going bad, you know, the preacher gets the blame. If it's going good, it's sometimes in certain situations, he's the only one gets any praise out of it. Like I've often said, whenever, whenever I moved from Kentucky to Texas, I I wasn't by myself. Bev was with me. Some of our young'uns, they were with us. I'm saying all that for a reason. There was years ago, those on the Timothy team and Brother Kenneth know exactly what I'm going to talk about because we've talked about this. Years ago, the churches, especially in Texas, going back to the J. Frank Fort days and so forth. But the churches, the larger churches, was built on the personality and the pulpit ability of a preacher. I mean, that's all it took. Let me tell you, it's not that way nowadays. Nowadays. I don't care who the preacher is, if a church is going to progress, if it's going to get the job done, it takes everybody getting on board, everybody having a part, everybody doing something. And we don't have any members who are unimportant. Every member of this church is unimportant. It is important. I'm glad I corrected that. (laughs) Somebody be playing that tape back and spreading gossip. And we all do different things. I wouldn't know anything in the world about mining diamonds and, and how to purify gold and stuff like that. I, might, you know, I could cut trees down and stuff like that. And we think about all of the different jobs assigned to the different people. And I think about what the different people do. I guarantee you all wouldn't want me doing the decorating Sometimes I'll be able to change something at home and I think, why do you change that? That's not going to look good at all. Until she gets it changed and, oh, I like that. You know, I couldn't envision what she could see. And like I said, you wouldn't like the decorations that I put up. You, listen, you wouldn't, sure wouldn't like the food I cook because I don't cook. Oh, I scramble eggs. I'm good at that. But you, <laughs> you wouldn't like the food I cook. You better be glad we got, we got some folks over there that know how to do it. They know how to cook. Don't come to me if your car's broke down. I, I, yeah, I don't only think about fixing cars. Not nowadays. It takes all of us working together. And the reason it's so important As I said a while ago, and he tells us in 2 Chronicles 24, 6, he speaks about it as his house of witness. That's what makes it important. And the value of the church is in the fact that God is glorified through what we do. Souls are saved as a result of us getting the gospel message out. Lives are changed and in doing that, society at least to an extent is improved and we're able to invest our lives in something of value beyond the grave. Thank God for that. Thank God for those that care enough. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and it might be that you've even made some accusations about Christians being a bunch of hypocrites and, Stuff like that. Because you've seen some inconsistency in some church member, maybe me. Something that you didn't like, that something unbecoming for a professing Christian. And so you label us all a bunch of hypocrites. But whenever you really stop and look and look at the whole picture, the big picture of what people are doing and ask yourself, why did they do that? Why don't we just turn this place into an entertainment place? In other words, what we could do, we could hire one of them Hollywood hotshot preachers to come and pay them enough, you know, to get them to preach. And man, we could we could bring in all those professional musicians. I mean, if you like you know, like it country style, we'd bring in the hockey talk group from Nashville. We get whatever you want. Oh, by the way. That's exactly the manner in which some of these megachurches built. The second largest Southern Baptist church in the world. Saddleback church out in California. That's the way they admit. They go out and they take a survey, see what people like, and say, so, we'll give it to you. you can get, look, you can get a big crowd doing that, but boy, when you get down to the nitty gritty and you say, no... We believe in the security of the believer. We don't believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in the King James Version Bible only. And we can historically prove that it's the only, the only accurate translation of the Bible. And the list goes on and on. And, and all of a sudden, when people don't get the entertainment they want, the crowd just begins to dwindle. I'm saying all that for a reason because I want you to understand if you're here today and you're not saved and you've got the idea that nobody cares about you, you don't know what's going on. These people here that do what they do, our Sunday school teachers that prepare each and every week, those that, those that get out here and walk the street and knocking on doors, why do they do that? Because they care about whether you go to heaven or hell. Thank God for those that understand that the work is great and that they can be a part of that. Now notice in verse 2 and 5, down through 5, David is given the charge, but notice here the consecration of David. You know, he, he gives them this challenge to the people and he charges them by presenting himself as an example. I'll never forget... Soon after I had taken the pastorate of another church, I won't even mention the state, and uh, one of the deacons said to me, "said I sure hope you don't turn out to be like uh, that last pastor we had here." And I thought, "My, he must have done something really bad." And in a sense, I guess he did. But I said, "What was was the matter?" He said all he ever did was scream and yell at us and tell us what we ought to be doing and he would never do anything. Tell us we ought to go visit. He he, he never visited anybody. He never did anybody, you know, at the hospital or whatever. Let me tell you, whenever we think about God's work, example means so very much. And Notice what David said in verse 2. Now... Now, that's key. Now, I have prepared with all of my might for the house of my God. And that wasn't a lie, by the way. He provided the plans. He provided the structure, the financial aid that amounted to millions and millions of dollars. And that explains why I look in verse 3. Because, this is why he did it, I have set my affection to the house of my God You see, when people love God, they will serve God. And if we love Christ and His church, we will willingly support it in every possible way. Thank God. Uh, One of the greatest blessings any pastor can have is to know that there are men and women in that church that will do anything within their power to help that church to prosper and to grow and to be a blessing and a help to others. That's the kind of consecration it takes for us to get the work God's given us to get it done. So don't tell me here today that I'm not a Christian, but uh, but I'm okay, and you're just all a bunch of hypocrites. Because these folks I'm talking about sitting right out here are not a bunch of hypocrites. There's people that love you. Oh, you say, well, I can find an exception. Sure, you can. Anywhere you go, you can find a bad police officer. Sure. You can go to Walmart or Monkey Ward or Sears and Roebuck or wherever it is. You find somebody there that, you know, doesn't live up to the company's standards. And I say that because none of us, we Christians, none of us are perfect. We're going to fail, but don't you ever, ever accuse us of not caring about whether you go to heaven or hell. Amen. Because we do. There are people that have invested their time and their money and their talent and ability and everything they have in in a church so you can hear the gospel and know Christ is your Savior. Now, here's the challenge. Verse number 5. He said, The gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver and all manner of work to be made by the hands of the artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Now notice, he says, this day. And it's obvious that there's a sense of urgency in his voice. He didn't tell them, look, I, I want you to think about what I've said. I want you to go home. I want you to pray about it. Or maybe you might want to get some counsel from somebody else. He said, This day. In other words, David is saying, I want an answer right now. And there are a lot of folks today that need to stop playing around and make up their mind and start serving God today. I'll never forget, we had a young man, I was pastoring in Missouri, and and, uh, he told me one day, just bless my heart, he and his wife used to sing specials together and but he told me one day, he said, You know, God's called me to preach. We made it known to the church. I supported him in every possible way. And he's talking about, you know, I'm not sure whether I'll be a pastor or go to a mission field or whatever. I said, "Well, you just pray about that? And it went on and on until months turned into a year. And then it went on beyond that. And all he ever did. Up until the time that finally they fell completely out of church. All he ever did was talk about what he's going to do someday for the Lord. We've got so many people like that in the world today. Oh, they love to attend church. They love, you know, good singing, good preaching. They love that. They love the fellowship. They love the fried chicken. You know, whatever. But you never can get them to do what they need to do. And David says to them, because he knew, he knew the likelihood of some of them not participating. And he says, this day, I want a commitment made this day that you're going to do everything you can to help Solomon get this done. And you see the choice of the people beginning in verse 6 all the way down through verse 9. I'm just going to hit the highlights. Look at verse 6, the last part said they offered willingly. Verse 7. And they gave for the service of the house of God. And goes on and tells all the great things they gave. Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced. For that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. They did exactly what they should have done. David challenged them. He had given them a charge and he said, this is what needs to be done. He gave them an example. He says, look, that's what, I've, that's what I'm doing. I'm assisting Solomon in every possible way. Instead of him saying, well, God, if you want him to do it, just do it. Solomon, if God wants you to do it, you, you take care of it then. If I'm not good enough, you know, to build the temple, why, why should I invest any of my funds in it? Thank God for those that stay the course and they're not looking for any personal glory whatsoever. And their attitude is, if I can help in any way whatsoever, I want to help. And nobody has to even know about it. Thank God for people like that. David did all of that and it comes down to the point that now you've got to make a choice. And they did. Willingly. Willingly. They gave for the service of the house of God. We need the attitude of David Livingston. And you've heard me tell the story about him and Stanley so many times and how that Stanley came to know the Lord as a result of following Livingston around. And he says he was converted, although that Livingston never directly tried to get him converted. He just followed him around, listened to him preach, watched how he lived. And he came to know Christ as his Savior. But this is what David Livingston said. I will place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. I wonder today if we can honestly say that. That we can honestly say that the most important thing in my life is to serve the One that died on Calvary for me. Nothing else matters so much as whether or not I please Him. And I mean, really, be honest about it—that I've made a commitment like that in my life. I'm—I'm thrilled by people that are regular in their, in their church attendance. Thank God for that. But there's more to being a Christian than just watching what's going on. Some folks all they ever do is just sit, soak and sire. And sit there, soak it all up, and then don't do anything with it, and it just eventually sires. Most of the time, criticism comes from people that are not really doing anything for the Lord. They won't teach Sunday school. Years ago a fellow came to me and uh, was trying to get trying to enlist some folks to go through some training to teach a class and Sunday school class, and this one fellow came up to me. And he said, Brother Stone, he said, I'm really deep in the scriptures. I'm really, I'm, want me to be really impressed. I said, yeah. I said, well, you've been, you've been saved a lot of years, you know, I guess so. I, but he said, you know, God, God just never, God never called me to be a teacher. I, Somebody else have to teach those Sunday school kids. I don't know if I understand my Bible right. God's called every Christian to be a teacher in one sense of the word. Because I noticed I'd never seen this guy there when we had visitation. He'd never been there. I'd never seen him bring anybody to church with him. Every believer ought to do what they can to be passing on the knowledge of the gospel to other people. It doesn't take some kind of a special calling from God for you to talk to your kids about Jesus or your next door neighbor about God or whoever. That's a responsibility that we all have. I've often said, you know, and I believe with all of my heart that this, this church, I don't believe there's any better church anywhere in, in, in town. And I believe that. But I don't want you to ever mistake that for me saying that we don't have room for improvement. Because we sure do. I do. We all do. And we look back and think about God giving us 53 years. I don't believe God would have let this church continue on 53 years had it not been for the fact that we've, that we've been doing something. Thank God for the Iwana program, the Sunday school ministry, and all of the other things. The ministry over at the Villas in the Pines. We just celebrated 20 years over there. Somebody heard this week was talking about uh, that they were getting ready to start a nursing home type ministry. And I was telling about you, we just celebrated 20 years over there at the villas. Thank God for people that care enough not just to see the need, but to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. It's what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 said, Here am I, Lord, send me, I'm ready, I'll go. He didn't say, Now, Lord, exactly where do you want me to go? Let me tell you, if you go to making stipulations like that, Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary as long as it's in America. Because I ain't going to leave Grandma and Grandpa to go there to Japan or China or wherever it is. You know, I'm not, No, I'm not ready for that. We haven't really surrendered ourselves to the Lord until we take our hands off of our life and say, Lord, if this is what You want me to do, if this is where You want me to be, I'm ready to go. Brother Gilbert Wood, one was I was one of our deacons when I came here. I didn't know anything about this church, absolutely nothing. I'd never even I never even heard of it. And uh, finally, one day somebody told me there's a the church getting ready to call you. And and sure enough, I got a call from the church, and Gilbert called and said we we we're needing a pastor. And uh, I'd preached all over Texas here, all from Lubbock, Pasadena, and all around Dallas and what have you. And I didn't have anything against Texas, but I just didn't want to move my family off from Kentucky just on a whim and to give her a call and said, would you be interested in coming down in view of a call? And I said, no. And I'm going to be honest with you, at that particular moment there, we had some things going on in the church. It would have been a really good time for me to say, oh, thank God, now I'm out of here. We've had some things going on that sometimes will cause preachers to run. And another group begging me to start a church. Let's go start a church. But I told Gilbert, I said, no, I, I, I don't have any reason to believe God wants me anywhere else other than here. He said, well, will you pray about it? What do you tell somebody? (laughs) He said, no, I'm not going to pray. And so I told him, I said, well, yeah, I'll pray about it. And I did. And that was on on Sunday morning when he called. And I I prayed Sunday, Sunday evening, service over. Finally, the phone rang. And it was that guy from Texas again. Well, did you pray about it? (laughs) Yeah, I prayed about it. And, oh, you are going to come down? And I said, Yeah. I'll come down. I'm not going to make any promises, but I'll come down and preach. And the rest of it is history. But let me tell you right now, you see, whenever I surrendered my life to preach up there in the Ozarks in Missouri, my, that Community Baptist Church, I loved that little church out there in the country, and I loved the Ozarks. And I could have said, now Lord, if you leave me somewhere down along the lake there... (laughs) because <laughs> Bev and I lived in Foresight that's right there by Pireside Dam right there right there by Branson and Lord as long as I can pastor somewhere up, up along that chain of lakes there I'm good at that I'll guarantee you I'll guarantee you God would have never been able to use me he'll never be able to use anybody that tries to put stipulations on what they'll let God do with them so when we take our hands off of it and say, Lord, it doesn't matter. I know that you love me. I know that you, that you never make any mistakes. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm now I'm not telling you that to set myself up as some perfect example because I'm not a perfect example. But I'm telling you even then as a young Christian two months after I had been saved, it's on October the 22nd, 1966. That night, just Bev and I and the pastor and his wife kneeling in prayer in a darkened auditorium at that church. I turned to Brother Hankins and told him, Brother, God's calling me to preach. And I know I've... I've said this before, but I told somebody, God called me to preach, and I told the Lord, even if, you, even if I have to go to California, I don't know why I said California because I just I guess I always dislike California. But folks listen, God might not call you to go to some foreign mission field. But there's 411 different things that you could do to help in the church, some way or another. They ask for volunteers, get your name on the list. Do what you can. And you'll be laying up treasure in heaven because nobody else might take note of what you do, but God does. Some of the greatest rewards in heaven's not going to be from pastors of churches. It's going to be some little gray-haired grandma that cared enough to tell the grandkids about Jesus and that taught a Sunday school class. It just did what they could, the best they could, while they could. That's what impresses God. I wish I had another hour to just go on and ramble on and on. But let me tell you, if you're here today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, you're making the biggest mistake of your life to walk out of here today in that condition. And I will guarantee you there are men and women here that would love to, if you're confused, they'll take the Word of God and show you how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God. No doubt about it. He well, what have I got to do? You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. Amen. You said, well, do I got to walk all the way down that aisle? No, you don't have to. I hope you do. I hope you'll come and tell us so we can rejoice with you. Yes. There might be, you know, a lot of times... I suspect a lot of times unbelievers don't respond because they don't see us Christians responding as we ought to. So all I'm asking you to do this morning is do what God would have you to do. And if you're unsaved, remember this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will for your life. Let's all stand, Tim, if you'll come, and the musicians, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation if you're here and not saved. Right where you are, if you'll just right there say, Lord, I am i don't know what's going on, but I know I need to be saved. When I say that, I'm not asking you to say those words, but just in your heart, in your heart say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm putting my trust in Him. I'm depending upon Him to forgive me of my sins and save me from the judgment that I deserve. And He promised that He would serve whosoever, whosoever will. And if you've done that or you're doing that, if that's what's going on with you or if you need help, would you come right now? Father, I pray this morning the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts and change lives. Save those that are lost. We thank You, Lord, for the contribution that so many have made over those these many, many years now. And I pray Your rich blessings upon them. And I pray that our younger generation might might come along behind and never forget the heritage, the legacy that's been left. That they'll follow in the footsteps of these dear saints of God that have given so much. All because they understood that the work is really, truly great. The most important thing in all of the world. In Jesus' name. While we sing,